Let us pray. Father, I pray that you would make the words of my mouth faithful to your word. Grant that those who hear it would be granted faith to receive it. That it would take root in us and bear fruit in our lives, we pray. Illumine us by the light of Christ, who has come into the world. In Jesus' name, amen. The Feast of the Epiphany commemorates the appearing or manifestation of Christ's glory. That's what Epiphany means, appearing, manifestation. Some of the readings assigned for today, which we did not do in this evening prayer service, include Jesus' baptism in the Jordan in Matthew 3. Uh, You have the voice from heaven declaring before all, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Another reading is Jesus turning water into wine in John chapter 2 which is the first miracle recorded by John in his gospel. And he says that this revealed his glory. But the primary focus for today is on a particular way that Christ's glory was manifested. And that is the way that it was shown to the wise men from the east who followed a star to Bethlehem. Who are these wise men? About these wise men, there are a number of conjectures out there. It can make things a little confusing. For example, from our reading earlier, which is our sermon text, Matthew 2, verses 1 to 12. Did you notice anywhere where it stated how many there were? The text doesn't say. We say three wise men because they offered three gifts, but... Just because they offered three gifts doesn't mean that there were three people. There could have been more. Sometimes they are called three kings. The hymn we just sang refers to them as three kings. But once again, they are not described here as kings or as rulers. That connection is drawn from uh, certain Old Testament prophecies concerning Gentile kings who will honor the Messiah But rather than kings, Matthew uses a different term to describe them. Ah, so he uses the term wise men, you might think. Not quite, but we're getting closer. The Greek word here is not the word for wise and the word for man put together. Instead, it is magi. Spelled M-A-G-I. Magi. These are magi from the east. Hearing that word, you might think of words we have in English like magic or magician. And if you thought that, you would be correct. This is, in fact, where we derive our words magic and magician from. As in English, so in the Bible, this word does not have a purely positive connotation. It is used to describe pagan wise men and priests 
soothsayers, astrologers, interpreters of dreams, and those who dabble in various other occultic arts. So the word Matthew uses to describe them already has a negative connotation, shady connotations. But not only that, Matthew tells us that these magi are from the east. If you're familiar with scripture, being toward the east is often, not always, but often not a good thing. This goes back to when Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden. And where were they driven? East of Eden. East as like a place of exile, of separation from God. Abraham was called out of the east, out of Ur of the Chaldeans, to follow the Lord. And when the kingdom of Judah and Israel were destroyed and taken into exile, they're taken east to Babylon which later becomes Persia. So these magi are from the east, from the land of Israel's captivity. They likely belong to the pagan nation in which the Jewish people lived as exiles. You see, wise men from the east wasn't a nice warm idea. It wasn't something sweet to put on a Christmas card. Magi from the East sounds bad. It sounds like trouble, shady characters. It sounds like astrology and sorcery and soothsaying and paganism and exile and captivity. Imagine parents throwing a birthday party for their son. There's balloons, cake, A clown, perhaps. Invitations sent to friends and loved ones. And let's say the day arrives, there's a knock on the door, and in walk a group of witches from the local coven. What would those parents be thinking? Who invited them, right? That's what we might ask of these men. Who invited them? Why are these magi from the east coming to celebrate the birthday of Jesus? We find the answer to this question back in our Old Testament reading this evening from Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah is a book that is so full of prophecies of Christ and his coming that some have called it a fifth gospel. And our reading from chapter 49 describes this Servant of the Lord. This servant of the Lord in Isaiah at times is described as though Israel as a whole is God's servant. They're meant to be his servant here on earth. But at times, this servant of the Lord is distinct from Israel as a nation. It is an individual. In fact, the Messiah coming would be the true Israel and the full, perfect servant of the Lord. The Lord's servant par excellence. And in verses 5 to 6, this servant of the Lord is talking. And here's what he says. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. 
He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Jesus came as Israel's Savior and Redeemer. He was the promised King of the Jews, yes. He came as the Lord's servant to bring Jacob back to God and that Israel might be gathered back together, yes. But it is too small a thing, the Lord says, that he should merely come for the people of Israel. It's too small a thing, too light a thing. No, God has bigger plans than just that. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. God is not the God of the Jews only. He's the creator of the whole earth, the Lord of all. Israel was a chosen nation, the Lord's chosen people, his special possession. But they were not chosen for themselves, but so that through them, God's salvation might reach the whole earth. That just as all fell and sinned in Adam, all might be redeemed through Christ and faith in him. In Abraham, all nations would be blessed. Through Israel, the nations would come to the Lord in repentance. Jesus comes into the world, not just as the hope of Israel, but as the desire of nations. These magi then are the first fruits of the Gentiles. You know what a first fruit is? It's when you have a harvest and you have the very first crops of that harvest and it tells you the rest is coming. The magi are the first fruits of the Gentiles. Even at Christ's birth, the nations are coming. The nations are turning to the Lord. Isaiah 49 verse 7 says, Kings shall see and arise princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. Now we've already mentioned Matthew doesn't say that these are kings, but As magi, as magicians, they served in king's courts. They often had official positions. You think of Daniel and his friends serving for Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. These magi would have had official positions and royal status as kings, advisors, and counselors. So although they are not themselves kings, we see here a beginning of that fulfillment Kings shall see and arise. Princes shall prostrate themselves. And so it is that these magi from the east walk into Jerusalem, the holy city, and they go to the king of Judea, Herod, and ask, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have come to worship him. That's why they came. They came to worship Jesus. They heard about him. They knew that he would be born king of the Jews. 
They saw his star when it arose in the east. We'll come back to that star later. And so they traveled a long journey, perhaps 800 miles. A journey that would have taken about 40 days to worship him, to give him the reverence, to fall down before him and acknowledge his rule. Herod, for his part, as we saw last week, had no intentions for worship. Verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Note the difference. Magi, see the star, know the king of the Jews is coming, and they pack up everything, travel hundreds of miles for weeks to worship. Herod hears that the king of the Jews is going to be born, and he's troubled. Those are your two options. Worship or worry. What's your response going to be? After assembling the chief priests and scribes, Herod ascertains that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. He informs the wise men, asking them to return so that he too can worship him. But his intentions, as we know, are far otherwise. Verse 9 says, After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. What is this star? We mentioned Magi uh, are court wise men, pagan wise men uh, who engage in astrology. So they would have studied the stars. There would, there would have been this art to trying to look at the stars and the constellations and ascertain from their placement and movements the future and the meaning of things present. So this is something that is forbidden Israel, it's forbidden to do this kind of thing. Yeah, that's what they did. And it appears that through that, the Lord actually revealed something to them. Though they weren't going about it the right way, he still mercifully revealed to them something about Christ, that there was going to be this king who would reign and that he was going to be there. And the star was what he used to tell them. But we see here in verse 9, and 10, that this star is no ordinary star. The star went before them until it came to rest over the place where Jesus lay. Being led by a star, going before, illumining them in the night, resting where Jesus was. This is them traveling from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. So this is not a far journey. This might remind us of Israel being led by a pillar of fire, the Lord's presence going before them. When it went, they went. When it stopped, they stopped. In that same way, a star leads the wise men. Some have hypothesized as an angel. Some have said it's, it's some kind of something like a meteorite or comet, but to where it's, it's in the actual atmosphere guiding them. We don't know for sure, but we know that it was miraculous and we know that it was to show them Christ. 
The light of the world came, shining into the darkness, and they are led by light to this light. What do they do when they get there? Verse 11. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. These gifts that they bring is a part of their worship. They worship Christ. They bow before him, acknowledging his rule, and they give him of the fruits of their land, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, being precious resources of their land that they give to him. Many commentators have um, noted the different connotations of these gifts, that gold is the sort of gift that you would give to a king. It's a kind of royal gift. Frankincense, it's a kind of incense that was used in the Old Testament with sacrifices. So that this is, as it were, giving an offering to this king, recognizing him as God. And then myrrh. Myrrh is a spice that was used for burial. It was used to, to perfume the bodies to be buried. Later on, when Jesus is buried, he will be taken, his body will be taken down from the cross by Nicodemus. And it says that he anointed his body for burial with myrrh, with aloes mixed with myrrh. So we see from their gifts, and it's not clear how much the wise men themselves may have been aware of these things, but we see connotations that this is a royal child, a king, that this child is in fact God among us, worthy of our worship and adoration. And that he would be a man of sorrows. And his life would not be an easy one. Jesus was born in a manger, in a lowly estate. He wasn't born into a palace. He wasn't born among crowds of jubilation. Shepherds came. Magi from the east came. No one from Jerusalem came. Herod didn't come. The chief priests, scribes, they didn't come. This would be a man of sorrows. The first 30 years of his life would be in obscurity, largely. He would be a sign that is spoken against. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. He's given myrrh to anoint him for his death. What can we learn from the Magi? We learn that as they followed a star to worship Christ with gladness of heart, so may we seek Christ. May we rejoice in Christ. They rejoiced to see the star because they knew it led them to Christ. May we rejoice in him as well. May we eagerly Go to worship him. Then 
as the wise men, as the magi offered gifts, may we offer gifts. May we offer ourselves in recognition of his reign and of his gracious salvation that he has given us. May we offer ourselves to him as living sacrifices because we belong to him anyway. May we offer ourselves, our lives, our time, our money, our resources to him. Another thing we learn from the Magi is that Christ's coming is not niche. Christ did not come just for the Jews. Christ didn't come just for a certain people, but not others. Christ didn't just come for a certain kind of person, but not other kinds. Christ didn't just come for some and not others. He came into this world to save sinners. He came that whoever might believe in him should have eternal life. He came as a light for the nations. He came to bring the salvation to the ends of the earth. And every tribe, tongue, people, language will worship Christ. In light of that, may we seek the universal extension of Christ's kingdom among all peoples, all kinds of people, all people groups, all nations, including our own. Christ sends us as his church into all nations. We don't wait for the Magi to come. We go to them, go into all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Our Lord charges us and he promises that he is with us for that task to the end of the age. There's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all. All may seek and find redemption in his blood by faith. So we offer it to all. So don't write anyone off in that. If Magi from the East bow before King Jesus, who couldn't? God is in the business of making idolaters into worshipers, sinners into saints, the lost found. The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Let us pray. Lord, we praise you for your great mercy shown to us in Christ. We praise you that you made him a light to the nations and that you, through him, have united Jew and Gentile into one body in your church where there is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free nor male nor female before you in your sight. All are equal before you. All that counts is Christ. We thank you for the gift that he is shine the light of the gospel into our hearts, showing us his glory and causing us to rejoice in him all our days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.